0: All right, well, this morning, those of you who are with us regularly probably recognize that our, our colors have changed. We're red this morning, and that is in remembrance of Pentecost. Today is the day we celebrate Pentecost. Um, we've talked about this before, back when we looked at the book of Acts in our New Testament study, and so we're going to read that story once again today. We're going to talk about it in a, in a different way. Um, but as we get started, who, who knows what Pentecost is? I know you know. You can talk. <laughs> Holy yes, the day that the Holy Spirit comes upon the early church, right? And we'll read that story here in a moment. Um, by way, of just a little bit of a review before we jump into it, Pentecost was, was an existing festival. Uh, it has its name because it is 50 days after the Passover, and it was part of what was known as the Festival of Weeks. It was thought to be and celebrated as the time when God gave the law to Moses, and it was one of the three major festivals in Jerusalem. So People would have gathered from all over the area. Jews who had, for whatever reason, we've talked about this before, been uh, spread throughout the region, would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem at this time. And so Jerusalem was full, as it was at the time of Easter for the Passover. It's full of travelers, full of Jewish people who, from other lands, speak other languages, have come to Israel in celebration of this time. And, of course, it is uh, at that moment that... uh, the disciples gather, and the Spirit comes upon them. And So we're going we're to read that story today. It is Acts 2, 1 through 13 is what we're going to cover today. Um, I'm going to tell you up front, we're gonna, if you've got a Bible pulled out, we're going to le- read a lot of Scripture today as we talk about what's going on and try to decipher what it actually means and, and what we can take from it. But let's read this portion first. It says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from the heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language—Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamph—I always mess that one up Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene—and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs—in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they are filled with new wine. So that's the story we know as Pentecost, um, this descending of God on the people of God, and this moment when they all begin to speak languages. Um, If you were not with us for our discussion of Acts, if you go back onto the Facebook page or into YouTube, it's, it's the discussion from November 8th, uh, in which we go into great detail about the story and Luke's uh, discussion and what's actually going on. Like I said, we're not going to belabor that once again. But by way of review, we'll just re- recall that it is, it is an existing festival, and we've talked why everyone is there and why there are people gathered um, and, and why the, the Spirit would prompt them to speak in multiple languages it's because people are coming from other areas that speak other languages. And so in order to get the word out, uh, God prompts his disciples to speak the language, the native language, of those who have gathered to hear. We've talked, when we, when we looked at it weeks, months ago, that much of it is metaphor, as, as you may have noticed as he goes through. It's, it's, it's something like wind, a sound like wind, uh, tongues as fire. And so what Luke is doing, in the same way that we see Paul do as he's uh, describing, for example, the, the mystery of the atonement and what Jesus actually accomplished on the cross, is grasping for language as humans, it's difficult and sometimes impossible to explain what God has done, to explain what it's like when God comes and makes himself known to you. Language fails us. And so Luke is using metaphor. And so it's a sound like a wind. Was it wind? Well, we don't know, but that's what it sounded like, Luke says. And was it fire that came down? I mean, we've seen paintings where you have like flames above the apostle's head, Was it fire? Well, Luke says it was something as fire. And that's actually really important because if you know much about the Old Testament history of Israel and the way in which God appears to the people of God throughout the story, you know that there's a particular language of theophany, which is God's revelation of himself to his people. And so if you think back to the moment that Moses is in the wilderness and God comes to speak to him in the burning bush, it's in flames, as he leads his people out of Israel and guides them through the desert, we're told that through the the day it's a cloud and at night it's a pillar of fire. When the tabernacle is constructed and Moses and the priest consecrate the tabernacle, God's Shekinah glory descends upon that temple and does so as a cloud of fire. When Solomon consecrates the physical temple in Israel, the first temple known as Solomon's temple, God again descends in fire upon the Holy of Holies and takes up residence with his people in the temple. And As we've talked sort of ad nauseum at this point, you probably can recite from memory to me, Uh, you know that in this moment in the first century, Israel has returned from exile in Babylon. They have re-inhabited the land. They have rebuilt the temple, but all is not well. Of course, they're under the thumb of the Roman Empire, but more importantly, their exile, despite having returned, continues And as much as God has not returned. This returning of God in fire upon the Holy of Holies, the temple, has not taken place. And so much of what's going on in the religious history at the time and the religious discussions is how do we as Israelites live in a way that lays the groundwork for God's return. And the Pharisees were so strict because they were trying to get the people to live in accordance with the covenant that would then lead to the moment when God was prepared to come back to them. And so this was all in the background of Jesus and the stories that we have of the Gospels and the early church. And what we see here in Acts, Luke tells us, is the moment when God returns. This is the theophany. This is the Shekinah glory. This is the moment when God descends and takes up residence in his temple once again. Only now, the temple is not a building. The temple is his people. Right? And we talked all about that in November, but we must remember that that is what's going on here. So in terms of the significance, this is the end of exile. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's ascended. And so God has done the work of reconciliation and redemption. Now comes the time when he returns and lives amongst and indwells his people. And so that's the story that we have today. We talked, when we talked about Acts, that the book, in, in some Bibles it just says Acts, and others it says Acts of the Apostles, but it's probably more rightly understood as the Acts of the Holy Spirit, that the stories in this text that Luke has given to us Remember, Luke has written both his gospel and the story of Acts. It's a two-part narrative. This story is the story of the work of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, through his people. And so time and time again, we read that people are filled with the Holy Spirit and they do something. Or the Holy Spirit prompts Paul and his traveling companions to go somewhere. And so we see in Acts the Spirit of God working through and in and compelling his followers, his people, to spread his message, to spread the gospel, to spread the kingdom. And so Acts is very much uh, probably best understood as Acts of the Spirit over and against Acts of the Apostles, despite the fact that that's how we have it titled in most of our books. In this narrative that we read this morning, this first first, uh, appearance or filling of the Spirit, the Spirit fills the disciples, and they are compelled to go out into the streets and begin to speak the word of God, the response acknowledges that they're speaking about the power of God. And that response is mixed. And among that response, because of the bewildering experience of hearing their own languages, not only the fact that it's in their language, but what the disciples are saying, drives some to find some alternate explanations. And what do they say? You're drunk. They're drunk. They're They're drunk, right? And so whatever's happened, is crazy, right? It is wild. It is, it is out of the ordinary to such an extent that one of the, the alternate explanations is they're drunk, right? There's something important to be drawn from that, that when a spirit shows up, wild things do happen, things that are out of the ordinary, that are unexpected, that make you uncomfortable, that would cause people who are adverse to the message of God to seek alternate explanations, And so they say they're drunk. And Peter, we know, if you know the story, goes on to stand up and say, no, they're not drunk. It's only night in the morning. And he goes on to deliver a sermon about what is actually going on. But whatever goes on, it's kind of crazy. And if you've read Acts, if you spent time reading the stories of Acts, you've read this happen over and over and over again in the lives of the apostles, the disciples, Paul, the traveling companions. God shows up. Fills them with the Holy Spirit, and they do things that seem bizarre, crazy, odd. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but I read those stories, and I just kind of scratch my head. This, I mean, a lot of us have grown up in the church, and we've heard these stories since we were little. And for us, we read them and we think, oh, yeah, that's, that's Pentecost. We just kind of move on. Let's stop for a minute and, and acknowledge that these are crazy stories. If you're not versed in this, if you have not grown up with this, if you're not familiar with this, if you don't have a grid to understand Acts in particular out of all the books, you're going to come to Acts and you're not going to know what in the world is going on. It's wild. And if we are critical about it and we think about it and we try to be objective, we all got to admit, you read Acts and you walk away with questions. And often in the church, you hear, oh, don't ask that question. We don't want to talk about that because we either don't want to have an answer. It's going to lead us down a rabbit hole. For whatever reason, we're told just don't ask questions. And so today I'm going to reiterate something I told you before. It is okay to ask questions. It doesn't do you or anyone else any good for you to have some seed of doubt in the back of your mind and be told to just keep quiet and go home and just believe and move on with your life. These sorts of things need to be pulled out in the open we need to talk about it. And some things we have good answers for. Today, I think we've got a, actually a really clear answer. We're going to get to that in here in a minute. There are other things we just have to say. That's kind of crazy, and we know it is, and but we believe it anyway. Okay. Um, so as we turn to the question about what what is what is happening here, what happened here, and what happens throughout the story of Acts, we're back to a question we asked two weeks ago on Mother's Day, uh, and which is what what is truth, right? How, how do we know what's true? Is it a wild story or or is it made up? Um, and, and when it comes to discussions about the power of the Holy Spirit and the way that God works in our lives here and now in the year of 2021, um, you, you can get a hundred different answers to the question of what does this, what's, what's the Spirit doing? How does the Spirit work? What does it mean to be filled by the Holy Spirit? Right? You have sort of on the one end of the spectrum, a very intellectual, Protestant, Lutheran tradition that and in, in, in some ways, reform tradition that would say that the that this was a unique event in, in the Acts Church, that God poured out His Spirit in a unique way, and that we are all indwelled by the Holy Spirit, of course. But this sort of thing doesn't happen. And then over here, you've got sort of the wild west of church, which is kind of like the Pentecostal charismatic world, in which this sort of thing happens every Sunday, all service long. People are hooping and hollering and running up and down the aisles and. Getting slain and smeared, and back to the head, and falling off, and healing, and tucking the tongues, and that th- we have this whole spectrum, and so it can be a little daunting and a little unsettling to try to figure out where is truth in all of that, because the church has, especially now in the last 150 or 200 years, since uh, Pentecostalism became a real force in the church, uh, there is a spectrum of experience. And so if you remember four weeks ago, we, we talked, we used Wesley's quadrilateral, which is helpful, right? It's not necessarily biblical, but it's helpful to think through what is truth. And he said that we use four things. We use, our, we use scripture, we use church tradition, our reason, and our experience in order to bring all those things to bear in order to discern truth. And it's not that all those are equal. Certainly scripture is highest and foremost you know, on that list, but we have to think critically about scripture and we use our reason. We have 2,000 years of people doing that faithfully, which becomes church tradition. So we we give that a a good level of credence as well. And then we have our own experience. But what happens, unfortunately, when we get into conversations like this is the discussion devolves into my experience. And we just want to talk about what my experience is with the Holy Spirit or what yours should be, or, well, this one scripture says that, and so I've had this experience, and and, and it becomes an experience-based conversation which is not totally unfounded because what we are talking about is having an experience of the Holy Spirit. We're asking the question today, what is that experience like? But we have to remember that we first must go to Scripture. We start there. And then we talk about our experience and the ways in which that lines up with, coincides with Scripture, or what God said. And does Scripture allow for that experience? Okay? And so we have to go to Scripture first. And that's what we're going to do today. And I mentioned earlier, we're going to read quite a bit of it today. Some days I get up here and this conversation ends up being pretty academic. Sometimes it's heady, sometimes we delve into some Greek, uh, and sometimes I can see your eyes glaze in the back of your head. I'm not doing any of that to you today. We, like I said, this one's pretty straightforward. I don't think we need that. And I think as we get to the end of this, it's gonna, gonna be kind of obvious what's going on here. Um, it's in, in other words, it's, it's pretty straightforward. So the first thing I wanna do today is make a distinction between being indwelled and being filled the Spirit, okay? There certainly, as as you may have heard and your experience may be, there's a a way in which the church has talked about these things as the same thing. So that to be indwelled is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But as you study in Scripture, these are distinct experiences, okay? The first, the indwelling of the Spirit, is a doctrine of the church. This is uh, explicated and explained by Paul. It is talked about by Jesus And it is the moment that you receive Christ, the Spirit of God comes into your heart. That's the way we talk about it in salvation culture, right? Have you accepted Jesus into your heart? Spirit dwells within you. Your identity is now sort of coexistent and enmeshed with God himself by the indwelling of the Spirit. And from that point on, hopefully, what happens is you become and you set about on the process of sanctification in order to become more like Jesus. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is being born again. We read about being born of water, but also of the Spirit. Um, This is becoming a new creation. This is the power of God's Spirit indwelling in each of us as Christians in order to transform us into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's The doctrine of indwelling, okay? And we're going to read just a couple scriptures today that talk about this. The first is from 1 Corinthians. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. He says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. It goes back to our conversation earlier about God descending upon his temple. And we've talked about this ad nauseum. I don't feel like we need to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but God no longer lives in a building in the Holy of Holies, he lives in you, right? He indwells you. It says, which you have from God. And then in Romans, he says this, you are not in the flesh, you are in the spirit, since the spirit of God dwells in you, right? That's indwelling, dwells in, right? So it comes from that. And then here in John is Jesus himself speaking. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, this is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Okay? So this is just a sampling of many scriptures we can turn to when we talk about the experience of the Christian life, the experience of becoming a Christian, the experience of becoming like Christ is a byproduct, a direct result of the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, coming to dwell in you, to transform you, and to bend your will towards God's. Sometimes in partnership with you, and sometimes in spite of you, right? This is the power of God to do his work in you. Um, this, This is a universal experience of the Christian, right? All of us who claim and truly believe in the work of Jesus Christ, receive the Holy Spirit, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, and set about to become like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's different, however, than what Luke talks about when he talks about being filled. So what I've done today, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at every single instance of Luke using the term filled by the Holy Spirit. Okay? So we're going to sit here and we're going to read Scripture for a little while. And when I started putting this together, I thought, well, I'm going to italicize the point that I want you all to get. I decided... It's so obvious I'm not even going to do that. So by the end of this, this should be abundantly clear what's going on here. Because when you line them all up next to each other, it's all the same thing. All right? And so we're going to talk about what that is, um, which, is which is unique. Because I, st- I started this week, prepping this week, kind of going on this. And I started reading. I'm like, oh, well, I think it's this. And then by the end, you're like, oh, no, it's obviously that. Right? And so I, hopefully you have that experience along with me today. There is one exception, I'll tell you. We're going to read both Luke and both Acts, every instance, and, and look at them. There's one exception, and that is at the beginning of Luke's gospel, when Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, the sky opens up, this dove, you know, the spirit, like a dove, descends upon Jesus, and God speaks and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And we're told, immediately following that, Jesus himself is filled with the spirit and thrust into the wilderness. i kind of left that one out. Uh, in part because it's the exception that proves the rule, and it's also Jesus. All right, So that's, a, that's necessarily a different experience than what we would have as humans being filled. Um, but aside from that, today we're looking at every single instance. Okay, So here comes the first, and it is the one we read today. We're going to deal with Acts, and we're going to jump back to Luke. So Acts 2, as we read today, said, All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So what I'm, what I'm going to ask you to pay attention to here is, Luke says they're filled with the spirit and then just pay attention to what happens. Okay, that's what we're asking. Like, what is that experience like? What happens as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit? Acts 4.8, it says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Later on in 4.31, when they had prayed and the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. In chapter seven, but filled with the Holy Spirit, he ga- this is uh, Stephen at the moment he's being stoned. This is the moment that is sort of coming to the end and he's about to die, having been stoned, martyred uh, for preaching the gospel. He says, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the, at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens open and the son of a man standing at the right hand of God. On into chapter nine. This is the moment when Paul has had his Damascus Road experience and he's gone to see Ananias. It says, So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. In the 10th chapter, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the word. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astounded that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even onto the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and extolling God. 13. But Saul, also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said. It goes on to speak, of course. And then 19, this is the final incident, instance of the term in Acts it says when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy spirit came upon them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. So that's every instance in Acts where that term gets used. We're going to jump back to Luke. Now at the beginning of Luke, I told you we're skipping the one instance where Jesus is filled in 115. This is in speaking. This is the, uh, the angel speaking to Zechariah about the coming, the birth of John the Baptist it says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He must never drink wine or strong drink. Even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this one we're going to have to think about for just a second. I told you we we're going to read most of this. This one we got to pause. Who was John the Baptist? That's what they said in the first service too. That's true. Jesus' is cousin, right? Mary and, and Elizabeth, John's mom, are, are cousins. So they're related. Um, so they're cousins. But more important than that in the story, who is, who is John the Baptist? Yeah, he was a prophet, right? He was was the coming of Elijah, the the new coming, the return of Elijah. Um, When we are introduced to him in Mark's gospel, he's out in the hills on the countryside wearing camel's hair and eating locusts and speaking about the kingdom of God, all right? So he was a prophet, a proclaimer, all right? Into 141, here Elizabeth herself, when she meets uh, or sees Mary, who's now pregnant, says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, that child was John. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry. Are we picking up on a pattern here yet? Okay. Some of you are. Some of you, I think, are still wondering what's going on here. And then in 167, uh, this is Zechariah. Then, then his, being John the Baptist, father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke this prophecy. And he goes on to prophesy about um, John. And then in Luke 2. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. And when the parents, Mary and Joseph, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, what's going on? This is every instance of Luke using the phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. What's happening? People start talking, right? Without fail, every single time. Filled with the Spirit, prophesy, speak, deliver the word of God. Even Stephen, as he's dying, is filled with the Holy Spirit, sees God and Jesus, and turns to the people and speaks God's truth. Picking up their party. Everybody was out there, you know, voicing your give attention, you know, people thought they were drunk. You know, because they just weren't out um and they were out there, you know, celebrating. Sure, they were celebrating. Uh, in other times we're told they speak with boldness, right? This is this is what it it at least as Luke tells us, without any inconsistency. The experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit prompts proclamation. Yeah. Sure. I to oh. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, what's what's ultimately the purpose? He said that it seems to go in go in line and lockstep with the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, right? To go forth and proclaim the news of the kingdom, right? And ultimately, it's the fulfillment of this promise that Jesus made, right? He says, the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what you're going to say. And so here are, time and time again, moments when God's people are in a bind, in a pinch, in a position. You know, Stephen, he's being stoned. They're being accused. There's some moment when they need to rise to the occasion and we're told that every moment that that happens, they are filled with the Holy Spirit and given the Word of God for the people of God. So there's a difference then between the indwelling of the Spirit, which is a universal reality of the Christian experience, in which God's Spirit dwells in us, transforms us, sanctifies us, grows us into the likeness of Jesus Christ, and what Luke tells us in his stories is a filling of the Holy Spirit, which seems to be a momentary, unique, context-dependent event in which the power of the Holy Spirit, which is already indwelling in Acts, interestingly, is there an indwelling in Luke? Well, no. Jesus has not died and resurrected, ascended. Right? The indwelling is a post-resurrection reality. So even before then, however, and you go back into the Old Testament, we have plenty of stories of this as well. We've talked before how the the doctrine and the understanding of the Holy Spirit is referred to as wisdom in the Old Testament. There's an entire wisdom tradition in the Old Testament in which people are filled with the Holy Spirit or given wisdom, prompted to speak. These are the prophets, for example. Right? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is this contextual, sometimes momentary. It can be repeated, of course. But, yeah. It does say, continue to be filled. So seems like there's of being filled. Continue to be filled. What are you referring to? Is this Paul's instruction? When he talks, it says, don't drink wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That sort of thing. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I wasn't going to bring this up, but you brought it up. Okay. It's a different word. Okay. We try, we've translated that as the same word, but in Greek, it's a different word. That filling has an implication of being completed, fulfilled. And so what Paul is saying in that context, and if that's what you're talking about, don't go out and, you know, fornicate and get drunk or whatever, but rather be made complete, be filled with the Spirit. That's different than what Luke is referring to here, which is a different term in which is this moment in which one is full of, equipped, compelled by the Holy Spirit to do, and in, in fact say, in Luke's instances, something. So they're, they're separate terms. I wasn't going to confuse the conversation but you brought it up. So thanks for that. But they are different terms. But you, that's, I'm glad you did, because that's, that is a kickback or a pushback, because some, some people will at times say, oh, well, Paul says, be filled, and that's a universal commandment. Well, he does except it's a different word. It just happens that we translate it as phil. Language translation confuses the issues at times. I think that the metaphor was uh, kind of a cup that just is continually poured up with water that spills out. And as soon as something spills out, it's filled back up. That's a really good metaphor. The trouble with this conversation for today is it works for both. That, that metaphor can work in both instances, right? Because if, as we look at the, the, the filling that Luke's talking about, that, that's what's going on. The, the power of the Spirit is filling someone up. In this case, with words, with the message of the kingdom that is then coming forth. But that can also be said of the indwelling of the spirit, that this, the spirit is indwelling you and transforming you and morphing you so that you live a good life and speak right. And so it, it can be both things, so that's true. I'm just not sure for the distinction we're trying to talk to about today and, and understand what Luke is saying in, in Acts and what's happening here, That it's necessarily helpful. Does that make sense? It might if you go on. Okay, okay. And if it doesn't, we'll talk afterwards. <laughs> And I should say that. If you have questions, well, let's talk. Yeah. And I also noticed when you're reading those scriptures, in all those cases, and I was looking at the other passages and looked at use the word filled, obviously a different word, but no one's asking to be filled. You know, I've been in many church services where people are forced to be prayed over and want to ask for this special filling. Right. Thank (laughs) you. Yeah, I think I don't think I don't have any problem with any of that, right? So that, that the, the indwelling becomes the, obviously the connection, you become one with God, and then that allows that becomes the conduit by which this other experience that Luke tells us happens over and over in the story of Acts and in Luke is enabled and and yeah, you have to have a connection with God in order to be indwelled by, or filled up by God, right? Which is what I hear you saying. And yeah, absolutely true, right? Now, that's not. I also don't want to limit God, and say that He can't pour out His Spirit and fill somebody up who doesn't know Him, because that has happened too in our scriptures, right? Um, But what, what I guess what what I want to draw out today from what Luke has told us, which is really where we read this idea and these stories about the people of God being filled with the Holy Spirit, um, is that it is different than indwelling. And it is not necessarily universal across all people or at all times. So that it's, all, it's almost as if, it appears as if, through the stories, that it is in the moments that someone indwelled doing the work of God, when they need, the filled, need to be filled by the Spirit, when they are want for words or they are in a position in which God needs to and wants to speak, it is at that moment that they are filled with the Holy Spirit given the wisdom, the words, to be spoken into the moment. And ultimately, it is that act that fulfills the promise that Jesus made that the Spirit will come and give you the words to say when you need the words. And so I don't want to, again, I, what I don't want to do today is limit what God can do and what the Holy Spirit is capable of. I do believe there are people who are healers. There are people who are prophets. There are people who do, do crazy things, right? that our, our history, the church history, is riddled with stories of people who do that. I know people, I myself have not experienced a lot of that, but I know way too many stories from credible people to discount that God does some wild and crazy stuff. Okay? But what I, what I want to suggest to you, as I'm, as I'm looking at a group of people, the chances are that most of us have not had consistent some of us probably never experiences of being filled with the Holy Spirit. That when we read the story of Pentecost, a lot of us look at that story and think, well, that's wild. That's nothing like every, anything I've experienced. And... where you're who you're with. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm just saying, I'm assuming there's probably some people in this room who question that. Right. Some of you... You get out yeah. Um on the one hand we have think back to our spectrums, we have this one end of very sort of sterile Protestant intellectual Christianity that wants to deny that the works of the Spirit I mean they're called cessationists, right? That that, that all died out with the apostles. That God doesn't do that sort of thing anymore. And on the other end, we have the uh, Pentecostal charismatics when it happens every five minutes at all times of the day. And that there are, there are and not all of them, but there are those members of, and there's a strain in Pentecostalism that says, actually, if you're not having these ecstatic charismatic experiences, you're not a Christian. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not in. And so I want to make sure that we are on neither spectrum or neither end, right? That this is not the universal, everyone has it at all moments experience of the Christian life. That being filled, as Luke tells us, is distinct from being indwelled. But I also want to say that being filled ought to be a goal and a desire of all of us. right? That we all ought to want to be filled with the Spirit for lots of reasons. I would love to be the guy who's the healer that feels prompted by God and filled with the spirit. And when you break your leg, I walk over and I pray over you and touch you and it's miraculously healed. That would be amazing, right? I want that. It's, it's not my calling. And at this point it's not my gifting. I am not a healer like that. There are people who are, I do believe that. I also have a healthy dose of skepticism about that, right? I heard this one story, this woman was giving her testimony and she had been in a church service in which there was a purported healer. And uh, she was having, I think, I don't know if it's cancer or some sort of growth, tumor, whatever, in her abdomen. And she was talked about how you know, she felt led to come forth and she received prayer, and she felt God's healing happen. Amen. And I was like, did you go to the doctor? Did you get an ultrasound? Is it still there, or did you just, is this a psychosomatic feeling right so like when it comes to something like that you know like let's let's i I also have people that have been in in churches that i've pastored and a part of who have one of them has a dad who's gone in twice had a scan had a mass they went in to do exploratory surgery it's not there three years later another scan it's there they go to do exploratory surgery it's not there i don't know i mean so like we've got scans We've got, I mean, medical, I mean, maybe something's going on with the scanning machine or maybe God's showing up. So that does happen and we all ought to want to do that. But what I don't want you to do is walk out on the street and just start praying for everybody that they're going to be healed. That's, that's not healthy. That can actually be detrimental. What I want to suggest to you, and this is where it's going to get real practical, how do we make Pentecostal, Pentecost real for us today? Listen. Listen. Because if what Luke has told us is at all the model, or at least instructive, then let's start by putting ourselves in positions to hear from God, right? Because every instance of being filled with the Spirit in Luke and Acts results in the proclamation of the word of God for the people of God. Whoever needs to, whoever's before them gets what they need, right? And so, if we want to be a people of God who is filled with the Holy Spirit, filled, not just indwelled, but filled, let's start by listening. Right? So, don't just go into a coffee shop, strike up a conversation, start making stuff up. But put yourself in positions, prayerfully listen to the person and to God. And I'm sure some of you, and many of you, and one in particular in here, who I'm not going to call out this morning, has this regularly. But you you are in a space in which you are in tune with what God has to say to you and you know that's not your own thought. And so how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, have been in a situation where there's someone who's hurting for whatever reason. They're neglected, abused, they're sick, they've lost a loved one. Or there's a, it's just a really awkward situation where something terrible has happened and you have no idea what to say. Anything that you can think of is just going to make it worse or it's going to be awkward or it's just dumb. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes the inspiration to speak something into that moment, and it's the perfect thing to say. And it doesn't necessarily make it all better. It's not a miraculous thing that makes some, the loss of someone's parent not matter anymore, but it's exactly what they need to, to hear. I mean, that's just sort of one example. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in where that's happened. with teenagers who have been molested and raped by their stepfather. People who are abused and neglected by their parents. Addicts. People who have real damage. I have no idea what to say. But in those moments, I will literally pray to God in my head, what, what do give me words to say? And, and something gets said, and it helps a little. It is God's truth in the moment, right? That, that is what Luke is saying. being. That's the example that we have in Luke. We, we start there. We need to be a people who opens our, our, our eyes, our ears, our hearts to hear the words of God, to give to the world. That's what's going on in Acts. That's the way that, that the Spirit drives the narrative, drives the people of God into the world to proclaim the good news of the gospel. It's proclamation, always. Interestingly, right after the Acts, the Pentecost event, Peter and the disciples walk into the, the temple. What happens as they walk into the temple, if you know the story? There's a guy sitting by the road. What's his situation? He's crippled, and what do they do? To heal him what does Luke not say he does not say they were filled with the Holy Spirit when that happens right does that mean that the Holy Spirit didn't do that no I'm not saying that at all what I'm saying is Luke goes to lengths to tell us that the act and the experience of being filled by the Holy Spirit is it results in proclamation it results in the word of God being delivered to the people And what I'm saying to you is start there. Expect that first. Spend time in prayer. Become in tune with what God is speaking to you that he might speak through you. In every situation, being filled with the Holy Spirit is not so that you feel good, right? They weren't filled with the Holy Spirit so they can feel safe in their upper room. They're filled with the Holy Spirit so they can run down the steps and out in the streets and start talking. Being filled with the Holy Spirit it's not so that God speaks to you; it's so that He speaks through you, right? You'll know. It'll be it, and, and you're right. You'll know. And and, and as you start, if you, if this is not an experience you've had before, right? It's going to be a little weird, and and, and you're going to have this thought in the back of your head, and you're going to think, well, maybe I should say that, maybe I shouldn't say that, maybe that's just bad beans that I had for lunch, or you know, you know whatever. But he's right, you'll, you'll, and, and, and you'll, you'll know. You'll know. Because you're going to question it, and you're not going to say it. And it's not going to go away. It's going to stick right there through that entire conversation. And if it's your first time, you're not going to say it, and that's okay. You're going to walk away from the conversation, and it's going to kind of bite you in the back of the head, and you're going to be like, why didn't I just say what I think I should have said? And you're going to learn to listen and hear. And then, if God wants to do something else through you, you will learn what that sounds like. When you're being prompted to lay hands on someone and do something crazy, good for you. I hope it happens. Like I said, that's not an experience I've had. But we need to learn to listen and discern what the Holy Spirit is doing in and through us what that experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit is. And I suggest, given the model that is clear in Luke, that we start by listening for the words of God. Someone had a I'm about to raise their hand. Yeah, and that goes back to what Mike and Kathy were saying earlier, that it is the connection, it is the indwelling of the Spirit that becomes the conduit for God to speak in you and through you. And if you're cutting that off, well, of course, it becomes harder for you to hear and discern. This is not something you can just go about your everyday life as if nothing has changed, and then you're going to get thrust into a situation, and God, you're just going to know automatically what's to be said. Again, I don't want to limit God. You can do that. But you are much more likely to be in a position to hear what God has to say through you if you are daily in tune with God and his spirit and his will. Go back to our Wesleyan quadrilateral, right? Y'all, everybody says, what, what do I do, do? What do God want me to do? Y'all, it's here, right? I can't tell you what you need to do as your day job, but it's pretty simple. Love people Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Go and make disciples, right? right? We don't need to sit around and listen for a word of God to tell us what we need to be doing. What you need to do is right in front of you. Just go do it. And trust that in the moment and in that process of living your life and having conversations and building relationships and loving people and caring about people who are destitute and damaged and broken and hurting... That God is there with you in the midst of that. God is near those people. And God will use you to speak in those moments his love and his reconciliation, his restoration and his mercy to those people. What what a tremendous gift would, would it be for my life to end having been a person for whom that is true. Not to have been some crazy healer, but someone who for all the days of my life lived alongside God and spoke God's truth and his love and his mercy into the lives of those around me. I want that. And I hope you do too. And, and maybe, just maybe, if we all get in that ship together and we all listen for the prompting of God, we listen for the message that we're to deliver to the world in this time, and this place, on this block, In this neighborhood, at your job, in that break room, in that line at the grocery store. It's Pentecostal. I mean, that's Pentecostal fire. That's what it's about. That's who we're called to be to be indwelled, to be transformed, and then to be in positions to proclaim the Word of God to to the world. That's the Great Commission. got nothing else to say. That's our yeah, that, that's your purpose. You want to you know what the word of God for your life is? Well, that, that's it. And it can look different. It necessarily looks different for all people. But it's some form of that. It's that in flesh in some way in your life. I don't want to get to the end of my life that have missed out on that calling and that purpose and the gift of not only being indwelled and transformed myself, but becoming a conduit for God's work and God's word to be spoken in this world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Thank you for your son who lived and taught and was a model for us, who died for us, who sacrificed his own life to bring us back into relationship with you. Who was resurrected, who conquered death. Who was for us the promise of an eternal life spent with you. And we thank you today for the subsequent coming of the helper, the indwelling of the Spirit, but also the possibility and the reality that we all we ought to and we ought to seek and be filled, that we can, in our in our lives, be so full of your presence your word, your wisdom, that we flow out into the world. And we are, we are humbled and comforted and assured by the fact that it is not our own doing. And so we ask that you would give us more of your spirit, that you would prompt us in new ways to step out in faith, to put ourselves in positions that may be a little awkward, that maybe we would shy away from normally, knowing that you are there with us, alongside us, in us, and when the moment comes, will provide us the words, the actions that are necessary for the moment, that you would have spoken to whoever it is before us. Lord, we long to be your servants, to be your people, to be the bearers of your good news, the builders along with your spirit of your kingdom in this time and place. So today, Lord, we ask that you would pour anew your spirit out on all of us, that we might become those people, that we might live those lives and we might speak your words. We ask this in the name of your son and in the power of the spirit of which we speak. Amen. Amen.